I'm Jennifer Campbell. I'm Karen Corgan. And I'm Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome to the Girls Talk Ag Podcast, brought to you by the Global Ag Network. This podcast is where we plow through the manure online and discuss what's currently going on in agriculture. From the good stuff to the rough stuff, we may not always be politically correct, but we're definitely honest. So, hey guys, we're back again. I know, it's like three times in a row now. I feel like... We're kind of professional here, Did guys. Did we just record last week? It feels like kind of 10 years ago. Like I know. Quarantine does that to everyone, yeah. I think. Yeah. It kind Say of all runs Karen. together. Say hi, Karen. Hello. Okay. And Kelsey, we're all here. I'm Jen. Um, so um, another subject that is uh, kind of heavy. We seem to be good at those right now. Um, and personal to ag because... When in agriculture, everything is very personal. Um, we have with us today Wanda. Wanda Patchy is from Minnesota, um, southern Minnesota. She farms with her husband, Chuck. They have three daughters, seven grandchildren. Um, they raise corn, soybeans, and what we're here to talk about is hogs. And um, you do, uh, well, why don't you say hi, Wanda? Hi. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for talking with us today because just like the milk, um, and like I said earlier, everything is personal in ag and this is not an easy subject to talk about, I know. Um, you also, you do talk a lot about hog farming and farming in general on your blog, right? Yes, I do. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you want to give a shout out to it so people know where to find it? Sure. Yep. So my blog is Minnesota Farm Living. Um, so I have a Facebook presence and then also my blog. And so recently with everything going on with the hog industry, um, I have been talking really given that personal account as far as what's happening with the hog industry, um, trying to really put a face and, you know, put some emotions there. Um, cause I think a lot of people don't really understand what's happening and it's, it, we're definitely in a crisis situation. There's no question about that. Um, and so it just, the story needs to be told. So you and I have known each other for quite some time, social media wise and um, blog wise. You have, your blog is very successful. It has always been um, very real, um, but also one of those blogs for me that I can read from the agriculture side and get a lot of it. But I know you have a huge like consumer following as well. So it kind of, you do, you balance that line very well between consumer and ag that, that is very hard to balance. Yes. yes. And really that's been my intent with my blog is really to find that connection between consumers and those who grow their food. Um, And so when I write my blog, that's really who I am writing it to. So I try to put it in as simple terms as I can so they really can understand what's going on and exactly where their food comes from. Yeah, but, but also as someone in ag, I read it because for me, it's, it's a hard balancing act. I'm going to have to say that I don't feel like I do that. And yours has always been right on the money when it comes to that. Thank you. Um, I, I try my best. <laughs> well, you do a great job. Um, but what we're here to talk about is what's going on in the hog industry. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about your farm and um, the livestock you raise? Sure. So um, again, located in southern Minnesota. So my husband and I, uh, we grow corn and soybeans, and then we also have a hog operation. So um, on our farm, we just do wean to finish. 
Um, the where I live, actually just right outside my window here, um, we have about 2,200 head. And then we have another site where we have another 1,200. Um, so they come to our farm when they're newly weaned, so three weeks old, 13 to 15 pounds. We are part owners of a cell farm. It's actually a 5,000 cell farm. Cell head um, located about 15 minutes away. And so that's where they come. And so we get them about twice a year because um, it takes about six months to bring a, you know, a hog from weaned age all the way up to market. So, so that's interesting. You do more what I call batch as okay, opposed yes, to continuous absolutely. flow. Yes, okay. not continuous. It's, they all come in. Um, so on this farm here, all 2,200 come in probably within four to five days. And so okay. we'll take them all up to 280 and then we'll start to sell them. Takes about a month from start to finish. Once they're all gone, then we go in and we actually clean out the bar and sanitize them and then we're ready for the next batch. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, so, um, I know we kind of talked briefly before we started recording, um, you are not in a, a cell, um, timeline right now. Right. So we are, um, actually our next pigs that will be ready to sell will be the mid June. Um, we sell our hawks to Hormel, which is located about Austin, Minnesota. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from where we live. And as of right now, because we know this changes like every single day, almost every hour, but right now, um, Hormel is doing fine as far as any employees being sick with COVID-19. Um, but the, the plants are just an hour, JBS is one hour to the west of me, and then the Smithfield plants is two hours to the west of me. Um, both of those plants have been affected, um, basically devastated with the COVID-19, I believe. Uh, the Smithfield plant, now this has been actually a couple days ago, they had over 600 of their employees that were tested positive with COVID-19. Oh, they have a workforce of about 3,700. So, so have, JBS, they shut those, have they shut those plants down? Yes, they have. Yes. So they shut them down um, and they used the word indefinitely. Um, I know Smithfield was first looking at just shutting the three days over Easter and the things just escalated and then they came out and said, we're going to shut them down indefinitely. Now, when you're dealing with markets and prices, when you use the word indefinitely, it's a market crasher. And so- It, it you know, is. It is. It, and you know, our prices were already going down because of the pandemic, right? Because mm -hmm. there's, there's that fear factor. But once they said that they were closing indefinitely, it absolutely went through the floor, uh, the mm -hmm. prices. And JBS is the same way. They came out, says we're closing indefinitely. So we don't know what that means, you know, like for how long is that um, going to be? We just, I just finished listening to a news conference by our governor, um, our representative Colin Peterson and some other officials just kind of getting to that. Well. that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, but we'll go back to the plants, those two plants plus the Tyson, that's 60,000 hogs a day that they were processing. So there's okay, 60, so no, no room for 60,000 hogs. What do no. we do with them? Right? I want to start from the beginning um, okay. for my own um how many hogs do we process when everything is up and running in america what's the head count we can process in america um i don't know on a daily basis what that is i okay. wish i had that number off the top of my head but i don't and see i suck at numbers so i yeah. I, I don't um do we know where we're at right now 
So um, I can tell you, based on this pre um, news conference, right now across the U.S., we have 160,000 head a day that we are not able to process. So the hogs are there, but they have no right. homes. They have no places to take them. 160,000 per day. And I can tell you that that uh, you don't hold a hog. You, you don't have a choice at this point, but you don't hold a hog very no. long. Um, the majority of hogs raised in the United States are in confinement buildings. Um, cutting back and trying to hold those hogs, for lack of a better term, is a storage problem. Um, right. Hogs are on a very tight schedule. Sows are on a very tight schedule. It's a turnover to keep up with consumers and, and the farm needs. It's a very tight turnover. So those buildings are needed. That's absolutely right. So we're very efficient at what we do. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. So like I said, we're gonna start selling mid-June. We'll be done by the first part of July. Our name is already on the next pigs coming in the middle of July. I mean, those cells are pregnant. They're gonna be giving birth here shortly and our name's already on there, right? So we can't just stop and say, well, we don't need our pigs quite yet. We gotta hold these until we can sell them. Absolutely not. I know some farmers are using like a slow growth feed that might be a temporary fix. Um, if they've got room, if they can hold them, they do. But all of a sudden, if you've got a hog that's over 300 pounds, you take them to a processor and you're looking at significant um, deductions because they're too big. That's not the kind of pig that those processes are looking for. So can, you ex can you explain why, what makes them too big or why that's a bad thing? Right. So the processors want a specific... Um, size hog, okay, and they want specific genetics. So, for example, on our farm, when we sell to Hormel, we, they want a hog that's 280 pounds. So, if we sell too light or if we sell too big, we get deducted. All right. So, what we what we do with Hormel, and I know it's kind of a silly word, but we call it the red box. And you would think red is bad, but for us, that means good. So, if you can get a higher percentage of your hogs in that red box, and it's based on back fat. It's based on, based on the, um, the weight of the hog, then you get actually a premium. But the reverse can happen. So if all of a sudden you have a light pig or too heavy a pig, then they're gonna take a huge deduction from that because those processors want a very uniform pig going through the processing plant. Does it negatively affect the meat or what they're selling or why? Explain to others why it's such a big deal. Sure, you know, I, I suppose because you know, when you think about it, you go to the grocery store because basically that's where our meat goes, right? So I, I call myself a grocery store farmer because that's where my meat goes between that and restaurants. They want a uniform size pork chop, okay? So all of a sudden, if you have too big of a hog, you, that pork chop is not going to be the size that they're looking for. So it really has to do with the end user who they're selling um, the product to. They want it a specific size, specific quality. Um, that's what they're that's what they're looking for. Is it more of a appeal appeal for how yeah. it looks as opposed to how it tastes? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. And and you it comes down to trimming, right? Right. It comes yeah. down to trimming, and also, yes. correct me if I'm wrong. Processing facilities like a it's like what we got into with the cattle. Holstein cattle were too big to hang on the racks going through yep. the processing unit. Yeah. Um, processors are just used to a their equipment is is a specific size. 
Absolutely, you're right, absolutely. Another kind of restriction, kind of getting off maybe topic just a little bit, but not really. For example, we have certain feed that we feed our hogs. So I know of some um, livestock producers use DDGs, which is a byproduct from the ethanol plant. In some cases, it's a little bit of cheaper feed ingredient. So like Hormel says, yes, you can use that, but we want to limit how much you feed that because it affects the quality, not affects the quality, it affects the meat taste, all right? So, um, so there are some restrictions that we have as far as what kind of feed that we feed our hogs in, because this is what Hormel is looking for. I just think it's hard for the average consumer to understand how a hog gets too big, you know? And then they see what happens instead of it going to the processing plant and it just upsets them in general. So do you wanna talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what producers are having to do now? Yeah, this is the hard part. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so if you have hogs that are ready to go um, and you call up the processor and they're saying, no, we cannot take them, um, we have very hard choices that we're gonna have to make here on the farm. Um, and and, and I can't, honestly, I can't even hardly wrap my head around it because um, those hogs are gonna be euthanized. And it's just so sad because that's not why we farm, right? That's not, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. We don't, we don't raise these animals to have them euthanized. Well, I think the thing is, is everybody, we're in this, I'm not going to lie, we're, we're in this to make a living and to make money. But when you put your, not just the money part, but that is a hard aspect to think about doing anyway. We know why we raise livestock. Yeah. I mean, the end product is meat. And, and as livestock yep. producers and farmers, we understand that. And, and I hate to put the money aside because money is important, but when you're not fulfilling or, or doing with that product, what you raised it for, um, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on there that, that are, that is affected, um, with your mind game and your, yes. and, and your, your mindset and, um, just your daily job. Right. I mean, you're, you're sitting there and you're just thinking this is so wrong. I mean, We've been farming for over 40 years and I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. Never, you know, and it really makes you take a step back and go, what is going on? You know, um, again, just trying to find other alternatives. There really isn't any, there's a few out there, but there's really not much else to do. Um, and it's affecting people. Definitely. I'm talking to friends. I'm talking to neighbors that are having to go through this. And I'm very concerned about the whole mental health aspect of this too, because we are going to lose farmers. I mean, if this continues the way it is right now, we don't get these plants back on board. Um, we are going to lose a lot of farmers, you know, that have, these are multi-generational farms. And um, again, you know, I just, I, I can hardly even comprehend what's going on. Wanda, I know we, I want, I do want to get to mental health because I think that's an important um, subject to talk about. Before we get to that point, can we discuss real quick? So latest news and all this, President Trump signed that executive order. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was actually pretty excited to hear that, you know, that initial reaction that, okay, that he wants to keep those plants open, um, which we need to. There's no question about that. Uh, we know they're not going to run at 100% capacity. 
Um, I know it's not going to be a smooth transition, and I also know that they really need to put in um, employee safety and make sure that things are that the employees feel safe going back to work. So I can see lots of testing. Um, I know they're scrambling right now, trying to work all the details. In fact, that's exactly what I was just listening to before we started talking today. Um, trying to get people working together. How are we going to do this? How can we set this up so employees feel safe to go back to work? The testing. Um, but we've got to get back on board. Um, there's no, no, it's, it's actually a national security issue because if we let this continue, um, we will see pork shortages, even though we have plenty of pigs on the farm. We have all, we have lots of pigs on the farm, but in the grocery stores, you are, will see pork shortages if this continues. I'm already seeing some pictures and one of them was out of Western Minnesota that the Walmart aisle, meat aisle was completely bare. Yep. Yep, I was in Hy-Vee last night. We got groceries. There was plenty, um, looked like there was a sufficient amount of pork, but beef was, there was not a lot of beef there. Hmm. Not a lot. So definitely empty shelves just in my local Hy-Vee store. I think so it's important to talk about how, you know, people say, well, why can't they just go to the local lockers? But a lot of those, I mean, they're getting booked up. I saw one was booked for cattle up through January of 2021 already. Yep. And they were warning the deer harvest, the deer hunters that they wouldn't have, you know, room for them come this fall either because they were already booked up with hogs through like October, November. Yep. So funny you bring that up because just this morning um, I called our local locker. My brother wants to purchase, he wants to buy a hog so that um, he can put that in his freezer. And so I called the local locker here kind of expected what I heard, but they're booked up through into September. And then I called another locker about a half hour away um, he had one opening between now and into September, and that was for June 29th. So I grabbed that spot, but yeah, they're all booked. They're just, they're swamped. Yeah. So I don't personally, this is me, my thinking. I don't, I'm all about local butchers, uh, butchering and, and stocking your freezer. We do it. I'm not opposed to it. Right. I don't think that's the answer to this. Oh, it's story. definitely not the answer. I think people are feeling better about that. You know, yeah. I think it's a psychological thing more yeah. than anything, but it's definitely not that. I just don't think it's the answer. Um, storage at your own home is going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, we just don't have the facilities. The, the local small guys don't have the facilities to process the number of people. And, and if you start up these local processors now, we get this market and these major processors going again, then you're going to have all these other small businesses who, who are going to be lacking for business again. Um, so yeah. my personal opinion is, is I don't think that the, the no. small processors, I'm all about it. If that's, if you have the facilities and you have the storage capacity, I'm all about stocking your freezer. Don't get me wrong. Right. I've had a I lot of messages. Yeah. I've had a lot of messages here recently. I had a couple, like one blog post and one Facebook post that did really well. And so I was getting a lot of messages to me saying, Hey, I would love to buy a hog from you. Well, you know, they're, they're four hours away. How am I going to get that hog to you? And then is there a place for you to process it? I mean, it does not, it doesn't make any sense for us to do that because our expense that we'd have to put in to get that hog where it needs to go. And it's one hog. I mean, yeah. I, I, would I you suggest that they should just go to their local locker and buy what's in there, you know, because our local lockers have, you know, meat cases sure. where you can just buy out. Would you encourage people to go buy out of those cases Absolutely. to get them <laughs> yeah. cleared out faster? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Go buy your bacon. <laughs> so these major processors back to like a JBS and a Smithfield, um, 
are are they are there any thought to increasing these workers wages because I, I just for to me some of this if, you, if you're gonna I don't know how to put this delicately um I think there needs I, I think they could come into somebody help me hazard pray. pay yeah, yeah. Why aren't we increasing this pay? Yep. Um, I guess that's what I, I downright want to say. Why aren't we increasing this these wages for these people? And I don't want to say hazard pay, but right. um, money right. talks. Right. And I think they are. Okay. Um, I've heard recently a $4 an hour bonus. Um, okay. I think they give it, give it like a time frame from this date to this date. Um, but honestly, Jen, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think you're going to see something more permanent. And I think you're going to see additional money there. Um, because part of this is that employees are scared to go to work, you know, mm -hmm. so we got to, you know, first we've got to try to protect them, do those, yeah. you know, do the plexiglass, whatever they have to do, but we need those workers back there. And so again, I hate to say it too, but money talks and we, and we need to do that. Right. Um, and and that. they're probably, it's not, there are jobs that I'm willing to do and I'm not willing to do. And so if they're, if they're willing to work in those plants, like, I'll wash a hog barn all day long. I, I don't want to process meat. It's just not up my alley at all. Yep. Um, and I'm sure there's some people who would rather process meat than wash a hog barn. I just, I think there needs to be some pay here, which then takes me to, um, there's got to be those funds there in those processors because um, pork hasn't dropped in price at all as right the price of hogs have dropped. So that money is there with the middleman. That's I the other thing that bothers me about um, uh, consumers and uh, processors and, and farmers is um, there, there is someone in between the farmer and the consumer where prices are set. A lot of people say, well, farmers, we're not seeing those prices. We're getting paid. And just because the price of pork goes up doesn't mean we're making more money on the farm. Right. I didn't know if we wanted to go there, but I'll go there. <laughs> I always go there. <laughs> you know, I mean, farmers, I mean, we're, okay, I think I just heard somebody say that they, the last check that they received, um, they were getting like $90 a hog. And I don't even know. I mean, that, that's, that they were able to actually sell it. Okay. So, and it's probably been less than that. But again, like you said, we're losing money. Um, and if, and if, I hate to say it, but you're hearing pork shortages, right? So what yep. do you do when you have a pork shortage? Those prices are raised, and so yep. people are paying more. You got that big middle ground. Somebody's making bank. Somebody's making bank there, and it's not And farmers. that's exactly right. Someone is making bank, and it's the consumers are paying it, and the yep. farmers' prices are dropping, so that money's in the middle somewhere. Yes, yes, yep. Um. I just want to say too that I think it's important that you know we obviously want these plants back and running but we want those people to feel like they're safe going to work too so we're not uh, you know we're not putting getting the hogs sold above those people's lives we want to make sure that you know they're taken care of as well and I think that's sometimes lost in the conversation too mm -hmm. um, and then we also want to talk about mental health for sure yeah. but I mm -hmm. do have a question and if you don't want to cover this I'm perfectly fine with that but I am going to ask what do you, what is happening on the pork checkoff side? What's going on with the checkoff to help hog farmers through this? Um, because I want to know. 
Yeah, so I know that um, I've been getting some emails lately here with webinars. Um, you know, farmers can jump online and, and talk about some of those issues. Um, I'm not real familiar more specific to that, just getting that information out so farmers have places that they can connect to, you know, your state organizations. Um, yeah, and I know like in the state of Minnesota, we have two individuals that that's all they do is with mental health issues. You know, Ted Matthews is one of them um, where a farmer can call up and talk to him. Doesn't cost anything. There's no paperwork. It's all confidential. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the mental health, especially if they're had, having to euthanize hogs and they know they're not getting a paycheck for any of that. And you got, and it's not that you're, you're, you know, earning, I mean, you're trying to pay your bills. I mean, you've got vet bills, you have feed bills, you're paying for electricity, you're paying if you have employees, that money has to come somewhere. Somebody has to pay them. And it feels like you're drowning. Bill. Yeah. So. Oh. So aside from the mental health portion of the checkoff, helping with that, is there anything else the checkoff is doing with these funds that hog farmers have paid in? Yeah, like, like I said, I'm just aware of the, you know, the emails I'm getting that they're setting up webinars or setting up different online meetings, that sort of thing to um, help farmers kind of navigate through what's happening, you know, okay. so. I know yesterday, um, because it had rained, we had went into town to do some errands, you know, farm errands, and um, we would run into a few farmers, and I, I just am getting the real feeling that farmers just need to talk. I mean, you could just see that desperation in their voices with some of the people that we ran into. It's just, it's a hard time for everybody, and, and nobody knows how to process what's going on, and with the shelter in place, you know, we, we, we can't officially congregate, but, you know, we aren't we aren't out here to be isolated. We depend on other people. I mean, you can do it safely, I believe with the social distancing, but wow, after yesterday, after we got home, it's like, we have some real issues out here. We need to start talking and reaching out to other farmers, just to make sure they're okay. Um, so like, so while we're recording this for everyone, we have started using Zoom um, and we can see each other. Now yep. you guys can only, out there can only hear us but we the four of us can see each other what do you think about opening up like, like some coffee house zoom hours or you know something like that I mean it's when you said that it, it made me kind of fascinated because um, you could talk with people way out of like we're talking with you in Minnesota I'm in Indiana Karen and Kelsey are in Illinois um, that's an interesting thought actually I'm kind of fascinated actually, I like that yeah I like that so I think the more it can be done, the better, because um, the face to face immediately makes my day when I see someone else's face on the screen. And even though you're virtual, but I've also heard the term lately, people getting zoomed out or webinar out. Um, they feel like, oh, they something every day. And, and that just depends on the industry you're in. But um, working from home, I feel like I'm in a webinar. 24 7 a day sometimes really so, now see yeah. I, I think that i would be I, I know most people like working from home but are, are probably that's what they're doing zooming all the time or, mm -hmm. or webinar but like I, I was by myself all morning washing a hog barn so to me i'm kind of like i'm mm -hmm. home <laughs> and you don't know if i'm wearing pants or not but we're all here <laughs> right I'm wearing pants but uh, i think just anytime you can encourage that social interaction, the better, but sometimes it just doesn't be a phone call. 
um, just a random phone call say, how are you doing? Can I bring you, can I bring you something? Or, or if you see them in the grocery store or something, I think Zoom is great and uh, do that as much as possible, but nothing beats just a phone call to say, hey, how you doing? How can I help? How can I support you? Yep. Well, I think with Zoom too, you can read their body language. So if you're looking at them while they're talking to you, they can't hide something as easily as if you're just talking on the phone or emailing or something like that. I think that's true too. I mean, I think you can see what people are, you know, you can kind of see if someone's relaxed or if, or if help talking helps. Um, hmm. Coffee shop Zooms. I kind of like that. Yep, yep. Girls like talk ag coffee shop. <laughs> we should try that. <laughs> Wanda, do you have any resources that you would recommend when it comes to mental health? Or it's such a thing to like just say, oh, go talk to someone, go get help. But sometimes you need those tangible action items of what can I do to help or what can I do if something's going on? Sure. And I know just, you know, I think each state probably has their own um, mental health access line. And so Minnesota is no different. We have the Minnesota Rural Health Line, you, you know, call in. Like I said, we have two people that are now employed full time and that's all they do is talk with farmers and um, help them through their situation. And then they can provide those resources to them. And I know even the local um, hospital here, they actually have all those numbers on hand too, because they have those farmers coming in that might have some chest pains, um, some real stress issues going on, and they will refer them to them also. And the thing I understand that's really nice about it, they don't have to run this through insurance. It's all confidential. It's private. Um, it doesn't cost, and you know, there's no cost to it. So I think that helps um, feel, I think it helps farmers feel a lot more at ease if they have those um, resources available to them. So I have another question. Um, uh, I've seen it from a couple different people and I'm not sure you may have had one of these posts about um, that we don't need to see these pictures of piles of hogs um, when and if we get to that point. Um, I guess my question is, is, and I agree, I don't think anybody needs to see those, those pictures. Um, but sometimes, that's how we process stuff um kind of getting it out there letting kind of letting your feelings out um also um it kind of makes it real to a consumer um with how do we how do you suggest or do you have a suggestion for processing that without showing those pictures and do co consumers need that that uh, connection? Is it any of their concern? Do we need consumers to be concerned about this? It's more like a shock yeah. and awe, if you ask me. Right. I agree, it is shock and awe. But but sometimes you tell people not to do something, and though there's a few a handful of people out there who then you've dared them to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but how do we process? Some people process that like that, and do we even? want it to feel real to consumers. Right. I think we can tell our stories just through our words. I don't think we need to see the pictures. Um, I agree. I just have a hard time with that. I think that's just really hard. And, and another concern that I have is all of a sudden you have those pictures. Um, we have animal activists, you know, animal rights activists out there and um, they those can misuse pictures them. will be used in a very negative aspect. Mm -hmm. 
There's no question. Even years that. from now, they could be used negatively. Absolutely. Wanda, when we talked earlier on the phone today, you had, you had given me some numbers. I think numbers kind of speak to the depth of the problem. And I was just astonished by hearing how many head were being euthanized. And that puts it into perspective for me. So I think sharing numbers uh, or just like you said, telling the story, I, I kind of visualize a farmer just getting on Facebook or a video or something and say, this is what I had to do today. Like this is, this is the realness of it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I have another and question I that goes off in a different direction. But I was reading, you know, that particularly with JBS, they're saying, oh, don't worry, we're going to have enough pork coming up from Brazil. And I guess personally that irritates me. But and then I saw somewhere else, I don't know if it was on the news, they were importing some kind of meat product from Namibia. Um, as a consumer, I mean, I don't, I mean, I know where my pork comes from and I make sure that, you know, and even my beef, but, you know, a lot of people, I mean, are they just going to blend that? Right. In with local, I mean, I guess I, I know that the country of origin labeling is a big, another big controversy, but personally, even if I'm buying produce, I make sure that it comes from the U.S. Yeah, I have a hard time with the, I think it's beef that's coming in from Namibia, and um, I have a real issue with that, because we have, there's a, especially with pork, we have a lot in cold storage right now, so I mean, we should not see pork shortages in the very near future because we'll be using up some of those. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm really concerned about some of the, the meat that might be coming in from other countries to kind of fill some of that need. And are they, yeah, I, I, I'm just nervous about see, that. I think that would be something to market, you know, make sure that if you, you know, you're seeing this and you're upset for these farmers, well, make sure the next time you go to the grocery store, that you know where your pork comes from, or your meat comes from. I mean, obviously, if you get it from the local locker, you know that it's from local, but when you just buy the big tubes of meat in the grocery store, I mean, that could be from anywhere and blended. I don't know. I guess as a consumer, I mean, and I'm, I have no livestock. I have a 12-pound dog. I'm not a livestock person, um, but I, I don't know. That just... The whole, I mean, I, I want to know where my meat came from and I want to know that it didn't come from across the ocean or something. I mean, if it came from Canada or, you know, somewhere, anywhere in the U.S., I'm fine with it, but I'm pretty particular. Like, I won't buy berries or anything from Mexico, so I don't want meat from there either. Mm -hmm. And but I think, you know, that's probably a good point because to bring up, because I've had this, uh, I've seen a lot of comments about this. So Smithfield is owned by a company that is based out of Hong Kong. So there's a lot of assumptions that we're, that they're taking the pigs from here, sending them overseas to China, China is processing them, and then they're coming back here. And that is absolutely not, is not what is happening. So everything is staying here in the U.S. But there's a lot of people that just were automatically assuming that. And so I think that's a, a good point to make too, so. Yeah, I did have a neighbor say that, but the article I saw something about was, you know, they were gonna ship up from, Brazil said, don't worry US, we have enough pork for you. And I thought, you know what, close the border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, yep. that just, we, have, we have plenty of pork here. We, in yeah. fact, pro, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we were exporting 25 to 30% of our pork. So we, we produce more than what we can eat here in the country. So, so two more questions. Um, a hard one. Um, 
have we, has anyone started euthanizing any hogs yet? I, I haven't heard oh, yes. of any. They oh, have. Oh, yes. So last week in this um, state of Minnesota, there were 3,000 head that were euthanized. Okay. And then, um, but I, we're going to see more this week. We're going to see more next week. Probably about 200,000 hogs. So um, in the U.S., um, just in Minnesota here. Minnesota. Um, yeah. So we, I live in a very hog dense area. So in my county, um, we actually sell about two million pigs a year. So we have a lot of hogs in this area. So yeah. There's your numbers, Kelsey. Two hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. So um, and and again, I can't even makes your stomach drop. A lot. Oh my gosh! It makes I just want to throw up. Uh, the thing is, is there's there's farmers' faces to every one of those. Oh know, yeah, all, totally. Hog. So it's not just two hundred thousand hogs; it's farmers that are having to go through this. Well, and, and it doesn't just affect the hog farmers; those hogs eat corn, yeah. so it affects the corn farmers too. And I think people Absolutely. need to see how big this cycle is. It's a domino effect. Yeah. So, um, the hogs they're euthanizing. Um, are we? Um, Euthanizing fat hogs? Yes. yes. Okay. So fat hogs and, and uh, sows are being aborted. Yep. Um, baby piglets are being euthanized. So it's a combination of all of that. And what's that going to do then? Um, five, six months down the road. Five, six months, even, yeah, even three months down yeah. the road. Uh, yeah. Because like you said, you can't hold a fat hog, but honestly, let's be honest here the disposal of that many fat hogs is so where do they go yep and i'll just talk a little bit about that because i really hard time for me to talk about the specifics honestly the state of minnesota doesn't know what to do that yeah. news conference that i just listened to that's exactly what they were talking about you know um our representative colin peterson he said maybe what we need to do is just to dig a, a deep hole, you know, and just dump them all in there. And he says, we can't do it because of the water table. Yeah. So you're thinking, well, is there room at the landfills? Um, is it composting? Composting is very expensive. Do we have the room to do that? So at the state level, the, those people that make those decisions, they're scrambling to, and they really don't know what to do with these massive numbers. So, and again, it's just, I can't even hardly... That is going to smell that. fast. I mean, oh. you can't leave them out there for any length oh, of time, especially when the weather starts warming up here. Right, right. So I don't, they don't even know what to do with them. So they're trying to figure that out. But it's just something to keep in mind is that, um, I, I said this earlier on Facebook and Twitter, um, nobody knows the solution. We're, it's trial and error right now. So just be a kind human because, oh my God, this is, this is, uh, not only is it uncharted waters, but there'll be something else come up that, I mean, everything we do is trial and error right now. And hopefully we'll gain a few lessons from this. And hopefully we're implementing a few lessons we learned in the past from other things. But oh my God, just be a nice human. Right, right. We, we don't know what this path looks like, you know, that we're traveling. We don't know what the other side looks like either. We do know that we will have a new normal, and, but we yeah. don't know what that looks like. But you're absolutely right, Jen. We just be kind, you know, just yeah. be kind to each other. And um, we need a lot of that right now. Speaking All the way, top to bottom, just, mm -hmm. you know. Speaking yeah. of being kind, uh, Wanda, earlier when we, it was just you and I that hopped on, we were waiting for Jen and Karen to join us. You had some positive news. What was that? 
Um, so what was my <laughs> It was about planning season. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So I will tell you that, again, we, we raise corn and soybeans. Our corn is in. It, it's still April and we have it all planted. I can't even tell you. The you last have all your corn planted? Yes. And wow. we started planting soybeans. The weather has been fabulous. Um, the, the soil conditions have been perfect. I could tell you the last two years we struggled big time with weather issues because we had excessive amount of rains, but this year has been perfect so far. Yay! So there's some good news. Right? And that is We're taking the rain down here in central Illinois. Yeah. I've had more than four inches in the last four days. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yay! So good news, bad news. That is good. Um, oh, but I just wanted to say too, isn't some of the plants, I think the Columbus Junction um, Tyson plant is coming back on, right? Yep. So um, one of my farmers, his he has some family that works there and they had had the COVID, um, but it sounded like they were going to at least start, I mean, slowly, I mean, they're not going to be back online 100%, but I mean, that's good news that that was one of the first plants that was highly infected and it's slowly getting back on, on yep. board. Yeah, we need to celebrate that, right? So that's good. Yeah. So. Celebrate the small victories right now. Right. Right. For sure. Right. Oh, well, thank you so much. Say, thank you so much, Wanda, for coming on and giving us this perspective. I know my stomach hurts a little bit right now thinking about all this, but I, I truly believe we need to be talking about this. We need to, we we need people to hear about this. So the more that we can talk about this and and mental health, like we talked about, know that farmers aren't alone in this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can reach out to any of us, you know, if yes, you sir. are having a hard time, just let us know. Um, we'll try and walk you off the ledge. Mm -hmm. um, I always joke that, you know, it's a good year when I get to stay an agronomist and it's a bad year when I have to turn into a grief counselor or a therapist. In the last two years, I've had to do the therapy thing. So I'm hoping um, to stay an agronomist this year and just deal with that type of stuff. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Thank but we're open. Yeah. Thank you, Wanda. really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next time for another episode of Girls Talk Ag. And if you can't wait until then, connect with us on Twitter.